You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Um, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 25. Uh, that would be a, a good place for you to hang out. And, uh, and then maybe 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to get to that passage as well. Hey there. We're going to go with that one, huh? We can do that. So Isaiah chapter 25, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll go with it. Um, gosh, what, what a, you know, I, I can't look upon this crowd right here without almost crying. It's just crazy for me to think about the kindness of God that has been expressed to our church family. It is unbelievable. Last um, Sunday, we celebrated our sixth birthday. The plan this week, or actually we, we had our sixth birthday. The plan this week is to actually celebrate that sixth birthday. And so with that in mind, here's what I want to accomplish over the next few minutes together. I want to try to show you from the scriptures a glimpse of who God is. Namely, that God is a celebratory God, that this is the essence of who God is. He's a happy God. And part of how we reflect God as his people is by celebrating like God celebrates. So this is what I want to try to convince you of. So with that in mind, um, you're going to have to hang tight in Isaiah chapter 25 for a minute. It's going to take us just a second to get there. So let me start with this. Um, Years ago, I was reading a book by a guy named A.W. Tozer and came across this sentence in the book. He said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now just sail on that thought. Think about that thought for a minute. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thought about us. It is the most important thought you're ever going to think in your life. What you think of when the word God is spoken, or when you think of the word God, what you think of in that moment sets the trajectory of your life. It determines everything about your life now and about your life then. It is that important of a thought. And, and, what, and there's so much we could say about what you should think when you hear the word God. There, there's so much that the Bible gives to that. But I, I want to just highlight one thing that I think is oftentimes missing in what we think when we think of the word God. When we think of the word God, what is so often missing from so many of our minds is this. God is infinitely happy. That God is a celebratory God. This is the first thing I want to try to convince you of, that the God of the Scriptures is a celebratory God. This is who God is. Now, when you're thinking about that, that doesn't mean that that some things in this fallen world don't make God sad and some things don't make him happy, that God is not fluctuating like that in, in, in regards to what he sees. He is. It's perfectly right to say that. But what I'm trying to get at and convince you of is, is behind that question of like God looking at a fallen world and that producing things in him, I'm trying to get to the essence of who God is. Like, who is God intrinsically? Like, apart from, like, him looking at you, looking at me, looking at this world, like, who is God? And the Bible describes God in ways that are kind of shocking to us, that he is infinitely happy, that God is a happy God. So I think when a a lot of us think about God, we think about God in such a way where, where we kind of put him into this corner of being a very rigid kind of miser who would probably never laugh at a joke, like that sort of a thing. And that is not the God of the Scriptures. Um, so, so, you know, when you're thinking about the God of the Scriptures, the Bible describes God in, as triune. In other words, there's three persons that make up God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one of those three distinct persons are fully God, yet at the same time, there is one God. 
Now, the Bible talks a lot. We overhear a lot about the Trinity in there, you know, throughout the scriptures. But listen to Fred Sanders. He wrote a book on the Trinity. Listen to him describe the makeup of the triune God, like how God the Father relates to God the Son, relates to God the Spirit, how this triune God relates to one another. Listen to how he describes this. I love his imagery here. This should be on the screen for you. He's, he's describing the Bible's take on God is triune. And he's describing this triune God when he says this. In himself and without any reference to a created world or the plan of salvation. So he's saying this is just intrinsic to who God is. This is the essence of God. So this is not God responding to your sin or my sin or the world's sin or the evil in this world. This is just God who he is intrinsically, the essence of God. In himself, without any reference to the created world or the plan of salvation, God is that being who exists as the triune love of the Father for the Son in the unity of the Spirit. Now listen to how he describes this triune God who's relating to one another, God, you know, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, the boundless life that God lives in himself. Do you think about God like that? That God has boundless life? You, you have never met a person more life-giving and more joyful than God Almighty. Boundless life, the boundless, boundless life that God lives in himself at home within the happy land of the Trinity. I love that, that metaphor. That if you want to view the Trinity as a land, it is a happy land. There is no sadness within that land. At home within the happy land of the Trinity, above all worlds, here's how he describes it. That this land of the Trinity, that this God existing three, three in one, is perfect, it is complete, it's inexhaustibly full, and infinitely blessed or happy. Now, I'm just asking this question. Do you think about God like that? That God is infinitely happy? That, that God, like the, the essence of who God is, it is like there is an inexhaustible stream and river of joy in God that you can never get to the bottom of. That this is the God of the scriptures. Now, we, we catch glimpses of this all throughout the scriptures. And let me just give you a couple of places where this hits the surface, where you see this inexhaustible joy of God spill out into celebration. Let me just give you two of many things in the Bible that God celebrates. One thing that we see God celebrating in the scripture is salvation. God loves to celebrate salvation. Probably the best um, place in the Bible to see that is Luke 15, a very popular um, chapter in the Bible. And if you remember in Luke 15, it tells the story of three parables. The first parable is of a lost uh, sheep. Uh, the sheep is lost. The guy goes out and finds it. The guy finds the sheep. He brings it back. He gathers all of his neighbors and he celebrates. And, and here's what Jesus telling the parable is wanting us to see. Here's the end game of the parable. The first parable. So I tell you, this is Luke 15, verse 7. So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He's saying that when God sees someone repent, there is a celebration in heaven that kicks off. That we have a God who can get down in the way he celebrates. That, that's the God of the scriptures. It goes on, second parable, it's a lost coin, same sort of a setup. She loses the coin, she goes and finds the coin, and when she finds it, she gathers everyone she can find, and they celebrate, and then Jesus draws out the point. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
that it lights God up. It is like that inexhaustible joy that God has erupts in him when he sees sinners open up to him. He loves to see that. And then you got the third parable. It's the, the most famous of the three in Luke 15. It's the parable of the prodigal son. So here's how the story goes. Um, a younger son comes to his dad and asks for his share of the inheritance. It would be the equivalent of wishing your dad was dead. So he's wishing his dad is dead. His dad gives him the inheritance. He goes into the far country and squanders it all. Um, he, and he eventually wakes up, you know, broke and in a pigsty. Now that's a picture of where sin takes us all. Without repenting, without turning back to the Lord, opening ourselves up to the Lord, that's where sin takes us. And that's where it took him. And in this pigsty, he finally opens up to the Lord. He repents and he starts the journey home. And do you remember what happened when the father saw him? The father's looking. I mean, he's looking on the horizon for his son. And do you remember what happens when he sees him? Here's how it describes it in verse 22 of Luke 15. But the father, or the, he goes and braces him and kisses him. And, and he starts the repentant speech. The father totally cuts him off. And then this is what the father says. When he gets him back, after he's embraced him and kissed him, he says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now think about this. This is the picture that Jesus is trying to paint of God the Father. That the Father in the story is the picture of, of, of God the Father. And Jesus is trying to walk us into what God the Father is like. And what we're seeing in Luke 15 is, is God is a God who loves to celebrate, especially when people repent and open up to him. God loves to do that. Now this party was so big that the father threw in Luke 15 that the elder brother, he heard the party before he saw the party. Can we all just, that's a big party going on. This is the way that God celebrates. When God sees a person who is hard-hearted open up to him, it is a party starting in heaven in that moment. God's heart is erupting in joy and celebration. This is the God of the scriptures. Now, when you think about um, God being a God who celebrates salvation, salvation is a big word in the Bible. It covers everything from the moment you first open up to God and he saves you, and all the moments after that of you growing up in the Lord. All the moments after that of that slow, gradual, painful process of you, you know, looking more and more like your big brother Jesus. And, and here's what I'm trying to, he celebrates all of that. All of it. If you're a son or daughter of Jesus in the room, Jesus didn't just celebrate the day you entered the family. Right now, in this moment, this morning, the Lord God Almighty is celebrating you. Every son and daughter, the Lord is celebrating. One of my favorite places in the Bible, favorite passages in the Bible is Zephaniah 3.17. It's gonna be on the screen for you. And I just want you to take a second to allow this to soak into your soul this morning. Listen to what Zephaniah 3 says. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. I hear that. He rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What the Bible is saying is that the Lord God, he celebrates like this all of his sons and daughters. This morning, he is looking at you, 
and he is singing over you. And not just singing over you, he's doing it loudly. Now just uh, allow that to soak in for a second. Because some, I think this is one of the hardest things to believe that like right now in the midst of our mess, that God could be that pleased with us. I mean, I, if I'm just anticipating objections when we hear someone say, right now in this moment, the Lord is celebrating over you if you're in Christ. I'm just anticipating that objection that says, but do you know what I'm doing right now in my life? Do you know the messes that I'm in? Do you know what I just thought about? If you knew my secret thought life, there is no way you could say that. And here's what the Bible's saying. God knows all of that and he's still celebrating you. That that's the God of the Bible. This is, this is and if you ask the question, how could God do that? Welcome to grace. Welcome to the grace of God that would come at us like this. Everything we deserve gets put on Jesus. All the, cele- all the celebration and rejoicing that Jesus deserves, that gets put on us. H- how can God celebrate us in the midst of all of our messes in this room? Because of the work of Jesus for us. That's how it's because of grace that God can do that. So, so we have a God who loves to celebrate salvation. And we've got a God who loves to celebrate recreation. And this is our text in Isaiah chapter 56. Let me just read through this very briefly with you. Now, in, in Isaiah 56, this is a prophetic vision of what the kingdom of God will one day be like when Jesus comes back for his bride and gets this thing going. It's a picture of that moment, the future kingdom of God that, that is coming for all of God's sons and daughters. And now, Isaiah is trying to shape for us, how should we think about this? I mean, ask yourself the question, how do you think about heaven? Just like the word God is important for you to have like your thoughts, like you get good, biblical, bright thoughts of of God, it is equally important that you get big, biblical, bright thoughts of heaven. What do you think of when you think of heaven? Now, there's a lot of things that we could say about it, but here's here's the, the primary thing Isaiah 56 is trying to help us see. It's trying to shape your thoughts that when you think about heaven, you would start thinking like this. It is about to be the greatest party I've ever been to in all of my life. That's going to be heaven. Now listen to how Isaiah describes it here. It says it like this, starting in verse 6 of Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all his peoples a feast. So we've got the table and it's spread out and we're doing this thing. He's going to make for all of his people a feast of rich food. Now, I love how it just describes that sentence there. It doesn't just say a feast of food, does it? That's not going to be the party of all parties. This one is going to be the party of all. This is not just food. This is rich food. It's not just going to be a table of food. If you're a foodie in the room, if you're one of those people, this one's going to blow your mind even. This one's going to be for you. It's going to be rich, a feast of rich food. Then he goes on. A feast of well-aged grape juice. He actually says wine there. I'm just reading the Bible. That's all I'm doing, right? He's saying a feast of well-aged wine. And it's not just wine. He's saying it's going to be well This is the best. He's not buying that stuff out of a box. This is going to be some of the best stuff that he pulls out for this thing. He keeps going here. Of rich food full of marrow. I mean, do you see how he is, he is overstating what he's saying to try to help you see this is, not, this is not going to be a normal party. 
This is going to be a blow-your-mind party. It's going to be that sort of a party. A, 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 a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. So not just well-aged, it's going to be refined wine. And then verse 7, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. So it's not just going to be a great party because of what is going to be there, but also because of what's not going to be there. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. Aren't we going to be excited for that day? And the Lord will wipe away all tears from all of our faces. No more tears of sorrow, only tears of joy from that point and forevermore. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what's coming for all of us. And here's the reason. Because God knows how to throw a party. Because God is a God of inexhaustible joy. And that erupts in him into celebration, into thanksgiving, into rejoicing. This is the God that we serve. Now, let's make the turn here. We don't want to be a church who, is, um, who has our head stuffed with all this great doctrine. We don't just want to be that. We want to have great doctrine at our church. But we want that doctrine to seep down into our soul where it actually begins to affect the way that we see and think and operate in our life. In short, we want our doctrine to create a certain culture that reflects that doctrine. We want our great gospel doctrine sitting here, but right beside that and around that doctrine, we want a great gospel culture, don't we? So ask yourself the question, if God is a celebratory God, what sort of a culture should that create? And I think this is the answer. If, if God is a celebratory God, we as his people should be a celebratory people. A people who know how to celebrate who love to throw parties and express their thankfulness for what the Lord has done for us. Now, God is really serious about this in the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, um, he is serious about making sure the Old Testament people of God celebrate. So serious that in Leviticus chapter 23, he assigns seven uh, festivals that every year should be celebrated. It's as if God is saying, there's going to be seven times where I'm telling you to stop everything else you're doing and celebrate. That's how serious God is about this. In the New Testament, we get to a verse like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, or 16, 17, and 18. Now listen to what the Lord is saying here. This is, this is the sort of culture that would reflect a God who celebrates. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, let, let's just clarify, that doesn't mean that you should never be sad in, just as you live life in a fallen world. That's not realistic. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible is not saying you should just put a patch over your sadness and just act like you're happy when you're sad. That's not it. What the Bible is saying is that even when you are experiencing the worst of life in a fallen world, there should be a relentless joy that's still in us. There, there should be this unshakable joy that still resides in us. That, that, that's what it's getting at. Now, why is that? Here's the short answer to that. 
Because if you're in Christ, as bad as life in a fallen world can get, you'll never get what you deserve. You're always gonna have better than you deserve. And you can like lay your head down at night knowing that what you really deserve, you'll never get from God. You can know that there will be a day where everything in this world that is sad disappears. You can lay your head down at night knowing that every tear you have ever cried in life, this just a brutal life fallen world, this every tear you have ever cried in this life over sorrow and sadness, God's gonna keep them all, bottle all those tears up and turn those into your eternal joy. We can celebrate and that relentless joy can be in us because we know these things. We know these things about our future. Now, let me ask you the question as you think about that in your own life personally. Are you a celebrator? Are you a person that consistently expresses your thankfulness to God and other people? I mean, just look at your life and ask yourself the question, do do I reflect the celebratory nature of God in the way that I celebrate things? Do I do that? And my hunch is for most of us in the room, we don't do that. Jerry Bridges years ago wrote a book called Respectable Sins. He's writing a book on, on those sins that just culturally we have kind of scraped under the rug and called normal. But when the Bible looks at them, the Bible calls them sin. Th- those sort of things. And do you know what's number four on his list in that book, Respectable Sins? A lack of thankfulness. And I think that if we were just to kind of crawl into hearts in this room, we would see if this is a celebratory God that in most of the ways we celebrate, we fall way short of this celebratory God. And I just want to encourage you in this. There is no day like today to get back on the track. There's no day like today to start celebrating like God celebrates. And and here's really the moment that kind of brought this to light for my own soul personally. Because I would be the first to admit, I don't celebrate in the sort of rich and robust ways that I think honor the Lord. And this is what got it on the, the radar for me. Um, several months ago, I was eating with a pastor who was a pastor at a very large church that, uh, that I mean, we're talking multiple thousands. I mean, God just pouring his grace into this church in unbelievable ways. And over the course of several months, that, that church went from being incredibly, I mean, just the grace of God on it to closing its doors in the course of just a few months. And this guy that I'm talking to that was one of the pastors at this church has now been hired by a pastor friend of mine who's a a pastor in the local area. So so he is walking me into a conversation that he uh, just got hired at this church and my pastor friend are having. So I'm just overhearing and he's recounting the conversation. The conversation went something like this. He um, was looking at my friend, pastor of the church in the local area, and and said, hey, when's when's the church's next birthday? You know, I'm, just, I'm new here. I'm trying to figure things out. When, when's the next birthday? And uh, the, 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 my pastor friend said, you know, it's in a couple of months, something like that. And he said, well, what number birthday is that? And he said, uh, well, it's the fifth birthday that we're going to have as a church family. And then um, the, the guy said, well, well what are we going to do to celebrate that? And my pastor friend, lo- local pastor friend of mine, he said, uh, well, I'll probably mention something at the beginning of the service that it's our fifth birthday and I'll preach and we'll kind of do, do the rest of our morning. And as he's saying that, I'm saying, that's exactly what I, how I just answered that question. That's exactly what I would have done. And then in that moment, he said, uh, he just recounted the conversation. He said, I, I leaned over and looked my pastor friend in the eye and I said this. Take our church as an example. You don't know how many birthdays you're going to get 
So you probably ought to celebrate this one a little more than that. And it was in that moment that I'm like, man, I think that is so true. Do you know this about your life? You don't know how many birthdays you're going to get. Your kids' lives, your friends' lives, our church's lives. So wouldn't it be a good God-honoring thing for us to celebrate? Now, when you're thinking about celebrating a church, Paul sets the tone for this in the New Testament. And, And let me just clarify this. As we celebrate our church, we're not saying that this is the only place God is working in the world. What we are saying is, this is one of the places God's working in the world. And because this is one of the places God's working in the world, we should probably get about celebrating that God's working here. So so that's the heart. As we celebrate, that's what we're saying. Now, Paul sets the tone for this. Let me just read through some of the texts in the New Testament where Paul celebrates churches. Just to show you and for us to get a sense of, this is a good God-honoring thing for us to do. In Romans 1.8, Paul says this first, and he's talking to the church in, in Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because, if, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 4 and 5. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know they like are at the top of the list of every problem you would never want a church to have. They're that church. And yet at the same time, Paul is looking at them knowing, yes, there are things to correct in this church. But at the same time, yes, there are things that should be celebrated in that church. He goes on, Philippians um, chapter 1, verse 3. He celebrates the uh, church in Philippi. In uh, Colossians 1, he celebrates the church there in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints. He's looking at the church and saying, I am seeing things that would be evidence of the grace of God. And when I think about you, I can't help but think about those things. And it makes me rejoice and celebrate and thank God for those things. Um, He goes on in uh, Ephesians 1, celebrating the church in Ephesus. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, he celebrates the church there by saying this. We ought, now he's using a word there that should be heavy for us. We should be doing this, he's saying. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right. Celebrating is a good, God-honoring thing. It's right, he's saying. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you... uh, one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God and for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in all of your afflictions that you are enduring. Do you see what he's doing? Paul is looking at these churches that he has planted and he is saying, there are things that we as a church should be celebrating. So let's do that. Let's do that. So with that in mind, I want to give just four things that I think as a church family we could and should celebrate together. Is that good? Four things that we should celebrate. Four graces from the Lord that I think it would be sinful on a day like this for us to just pass over without acknowledging the Lord has been working among us. Here's the first one. Broad category. The Lord's given us countless miracles. Countless miracles. I I say this all the time, but it literally requires a couple of thousand miracles for a church plant to make it. And can, can, can we just celebrate? God has given us those miracles. 
God has given us the miracles that we have needed. Um, when when uh, Stonegate was a one-day-old idea, like it literally got thrown out, what do you think about planting in Midlothian? I said, I've never heard about Midlothian. Let's see. And uh, I drove to Midlothian and popped in on the only family that I knew in Midlothian. Popped in on them, and you would have laughed if you would have heard my half-baked presentation of a church plant. I mean, I had, it, it was pathetic. And here's what happened in that moment. The one couple I knew in Midlothian looked at me and said, do you know the craziest thing? A few months ago, a guy told me, you need to get your life and your time and your family and your finances ready for something new. And this sure seems to be it. And can I just say, without that moment happening, we don't make it. It's just the Lord giving us miracle after miracle. And listen, can you just see in that moment, that's not because we come in with something so great. It's not because our presentation was so wonderful or we do this so good or that's. It's because the Lord is working for us. That's the only reason that happens. This is just one of the many countless miracles that the Lord has done. The conference center is another one of those miracles. If we don't have the conference center for the last six years, we are not where we are as a church family. And when we first got to the conference center, this is how the conversation went. You can have it for six months, maybe a year, but you better get ready to move out at the end of that year. And at one point, Dave Hansen and I are sitting in a meeting with the board of people who control the conference center and kind of set the trajectory for it. And we walk into that meeting and they, in so many words, lead off the conversation by saying, guys, we love you. You're cute and all, but it's just not gonna happen. That's where the conversation starts. And it is as if, in the middle of that conversation, the Lord himself entered into that room. And there's a moment when they said, well, does it, anybody else have a problem with this? No, no, I not. And we walk out of there with what would be nine years in the conference center. <clears throat> and that has nothing to do with how good we were in that moment. That is the Lord working for us as a church family. Um, we have two pieces of property. We bought one just a couple of years into our church family. We were able to pay cash for it because of how God was moving in the hearts of our people toward generosity. A year after that, we get uh, kind of onto another piece of property that's 23 acres right in the center of where Midlothian will likely be in the future. And in that moment, we feel like the Lord is saying we should buy that, that that's where ultimately we, we are probably gonna need to be. And uh, we, sacrificial generosity, our church rallies behind that. We, we buy 10 acres of it. And then we have a person willing to buy the other 13 acres and give that to us. That is the Lord's kindness to us. His grace toward us. We started Stonegate in a living room with about 20 adults. I'm just curious, if you're here this morning and you were in one of those that original living room, could you just stand up where you are if you were in that? So just, yeah. You can have a seat there where you are. Isn't it amazing to see that God has taken just a little bit of faith and a little bit of just availability to God and done this with it. Man, I remember being in those opening living rooms where we started, started praying for the, the first like disconnected 150. That God would send us the next 150 people that would need a good church home to do life with. 
And it is amazing to see in this room how God has multiplied that prayer. Not because of how good we are, but because of his kindness toward us. And we could just keep the list going. We could talk about how God has blessed us with diversity in our church family, how he is answering our prayer for racial diversity within our church family. I thank God all the time for our pastors and our staff of our church, for the unity that God's given our church, for the fact that our church is warm and friendly and open to people in our community and to people around us. Um, I am so thankful that the Lord has put in our church family a sincere desire for the Lord and openness to the Lord. And listen, all of those things are not so that in a morning like this, we can pat ourselves on the back of how good we are. It's to celebrate how good God is toward us. That God has been kind to us as a church family. He has given us thus far in six years, every miracle that we have needed. And hear me, the moment that God stops giving us miracles is the moment we close our doors. So we ought to be thankful for that this morning, to be able to celebrate that this morning. Here's the second thing I think we should be able to celebrate. The fact that God is using us for multiplication. Let me just kind of unpack this in two quick ways. Over six years of Stonegate's life thus far, we have been involved in planting 16 churches. Six years we've been involved in planting 16 churches. Now it's varied from help comes in two ways. Sometimes it's primarily coaching, sometimes financial, sometimes a, a combination of the two. 16 churches. Let me just give you a, a part of the list here. Jim Essien, the Paradox Church in downtown Fort Worth. Ross Appleton, Christ Community Church in Denton, Texas. Jeremy Pace, Christ City Church in Dallas, Texas. Ben Conley, the City Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Jeff Lawrence, Redemption Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Casey Maddox, Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Jason Brewer, Mercy Church in Frisco, Texas. John Mercy... Uh, Murphy Veritas Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Brad Marvin, Arlington, Texas. Aaron Fair in Southeast Asia. Pastor Sudhakar in Hyderabad, India. William Subash in Bangalore, India. David and... and uh, Istamoy Strode in Central Asia, Ben and Shanna Wright in the Caucasus, David Gambo, who just recently came on as a church planting resident, wanting to plant in Nigeria. That is the Lord using this little church family and multiplying it. I mean, that should be celebrated. In six years, we have got our hands dirty in 16 other church plants. Now, outside of that, we've also, God has just answered so many of our prayers for orphan care and how our church family would be involved in orphan care. As we currently sit, we have 21 households who either have adopted or who are fostering or in some way deeply embedded in right now to the fostering process. 21 households right now. We have another 12 currently right now heading in that direction and another 15 who are getting life together to head in that direction. That is almost 50 households within our church family getting their life inside of or moving toward getting their life inside of orphan care. That is the work of the Lord in our church. Third area that we can celebrate. The Lord's using us for conversions, for people to meet Jesus. Now, I just want you to take a look at the screen, and you're going to see some pictures. They're just going to start scrolling through some of our recent baptisms. And, and as those pictures come up for you, uh, let me just preface it with this. Ezekiel 37, I love. It's the, the whole story of the Valley of Dry Bones. And I think it's a picture of what it means for the Lord to save someone. Um, the, the Lord takes Ezekiel to this Valley of Dry Bones, and he says, I want you to preach to him. 
God, they're, they're nothing but dry bones. Yeah, preach to them. And as I, Ezekiel starts to preach, the bones begin to rattle, they begin to shake, and they snap together. And he says, preach some more. So he keeps preaching, and then all of a sudden, muscles are added to it. Ligaments are added to it. Flesh is put around it. He says, preach some more, and, and the Lord puts in them a new heart. And this is the picture of God taking a spiritually dead and unresponsive person and may, putting inside of them a new heart that is responsive to the Lord. And here's the, like, here's the good news about Stonegate in six years. The Lord is doing that through you. The, the Lord is taking this little weak, frail church family and he's using it for eternal things, unshakable things, namely the conversion of other people. That people are actually meeting Jesus at Stonegate. It's actually happening here. If you have been here for the last year and a half, we've changed some of how we do our baptism services where people walk us through their story. And, and I think in the last six years of Stonegate, our last couple of baptism services have been the most powerful mornings that we have had as a church family. Where people like this have stood up, they have bared their souls before us and walked us through the story of God rescuing them. Some of them have the story of, I was so moral that I didn't just think, I, I just didn't even think I needed grace. Some of their stories is, I was so immoral, I thought I was beyond the reach of God's grace. And what all of those pictures are showing us is that God's never stopping, always pursuing love, has the ability to chase any of us down in any condition we're in and rescue us. And that's what the Lord has been doing in our church family. He is using you for the salvation of people. Lastly, the Lord's using us to grow and mature people. And we'll finish with this. Just like the moment of birth, like, you know, you just take a newborn baby. There is a lot of growing up to do in their life. And in the same way, when a person meets Jesus, for the first time they open up their heart to Jesus and they open up their life to Jesus and they begin to walk with Jesus, just like in that scenario, there is a long journey of growing up to where more and more we are looking like our big brother Jesus. And I want to encourage you that the Lord is using our church family to do that for people. The Lord is rescuing marriages through you, our church family, rescuing people out of just terrible situations in their life. The Lord is teaching us what it means to die to self, to side with Jesus and, and decide against ourselves. He's teaching us what it looks like to repent of our idols and in faith believe in Jesus the Lord is doing those things among us. See, what any church or what any person needs to grow up in the Lord is gospel. They need continual exposure to the good news of Jesus. They need safety, a safe place to do that. And they need time, time to grow up. And can I just encourage you as a church family, you are a church family that is giving people gospel, safety, and time. And God is using that to grow up men and women. So, so let's just do this for a moment. If, if you're in this room and either one of two things have happened. Number one, in this church family is where God used this church family to, to introduce you to Jesus. Like it's, it's because of this church family, the Lord's using it, that you came to faith in Jesus, that you opened up to Jesus for the first time. If that's your story, or you would say, the Lord has used this church family to mature me and to grow me up in Jesus to cut out of me things that need to be cut out of me, to put in me things that need to be put in me. If you would say either of those two things are true, why don't you go ahead and stand right there where you are? If you would say either one of those two things are true. 
that the Lord has used this church family for either one of those two things, to just help me grow up in the faith, or I met Jesus here. And I want to just give you a chance to look around. Just take a look around this room. This is the grace of God toward our church. It is the grace of God toward our church. You can go ahead and have a seat there. And I want you to take a look at this video that will put some words onto the stories that you just saw stand up. Gosh, there is so much to celebrate, isn't there? So much to celebrate. And you know, as we look back and remember six years, um, I pray that it would produce in us a deep thankfulness to God. Uh, the ability to really celebrate the grace of God that has been expressed toward us. And I pray that it would put in us a deep hope for the next six years. And an eager expectation as to what it is the Lord wants to do with us. Amen? Let's pray together. Let me give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Just there where you are in your chair there. And You know, in all of our life, there are these moments that lines are drawn and where we make decisive moves. And there are some in the room this morning that need to make a decisive move toward Jesus. And for some, that decisive move is for the first time opening up your life to the Lord and actually trusting that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is your only hope before him. And it's turning from your sin and throwing yourself upon the mercy of the Lord. It's opening up like that. Some in the room, this is your decisive moment for that to happen. And if the Lord is pressing on you there, if the Lord is right now, you know that's you. Underneath your seat, there are uh, cards and I, I want to encourage you, if that's you, if, if your heart right now is open to the Lord saying, Lord, here I am, save me, rescue me, redeem me. If that's, if that's where you are right now, I want to encourage you to take one of those cards, fill that out, and check that box on establishing a relationship with Jesus. And when the guys pass the offering basket around in just a moment, you can put that card in there. We would love to sit down with you this week and begin to, to walk beside you in the journey toward Jesus. For others in the room, the decisive move, maybe you're in Christ, like, like you put your faith in Jesus, and maybe the decisive move today is, Lord, open my heart to being able to celebrate. Self-righteousness will keep you from celebrating. Busyness can keep you from celebrating. Pride can keep you from celebrating. And Lord, would you please open up my heart today to be able to, to celebrate, to be thankful, to be grateful. Lord, help me in that. I just can't help but to, uh, to think that a lot of us came into this room this morning needing the Lord to show us what it looks like to be thankful and celebratory people. And so, Father, would you do that right now in this moment? God, would you convict where conviction is needed? 
God, will you press where pressing is needed? Will you draw out where drawing out is needed? Father, I pray that you would, you would apply the good news of Jesus in a very personal and particular way in this room right now. And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.